Welcome to the Infectious Science Podcast. This is not just another science podcast. Nope. Infectious Science is produced by a team from the University of Texas Medical Branch and the Galveston National Lab, where we study some of the most dangerous viruses on the planet. Our goal is to inspire future scientists towards a career in science with a focus on one health. One health, one planet. That's right. One Health approaches public health threats by examining the connections between people, plants, animals, and the environment we all share. This show will explore how One Health is your health. So sit back and learn something. Infectious science, where enthusiasm for science is contagious. By now, if you are living on planet Earth, you have heard of coronaviruses. Coronaviruses have been present in the animal kingdom for a very long time and have been on the radar of veterinarians for many decades. In today's episode, we are going to talk about a coronavirus that only infects cats and is almost always fatal. This isn't a new disease, and don't worry, cats cannot transmit this coronavirus to people, but it can have serious implications for animal health. And here's the catch. There may be a cure, but it is not easy to get your hands on. The following discussion illustrates the connection between animal health, science, the drug industry, and society. It's a clear example that helps to define the One Health approach. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you learned something. The following story is based on true events, but the names of people and places have been changed. Hey guys, how are you doing? Oh, hey, Dennis. Good to see you. How have you been? Danielle was just telling me this story about you and your cat. Yeah, the last week has been pretty rough for me. I don't know if I told you, Connie, but, you know, in the past year, I started fostering. And recently, I started fostering a cat from the animal shelter. They had an emergency because so many people are surrendering their cats and dogs. I've heard about this. I've actually read about it, too. I didn't know you were fostering, but I did hear that shelters nationwide are facing really large numbers of relinquished animals really since COVID. Mm. And they're at desperate situations. Why do you think that is? Well, from what I've read, a lot of it has to do with the fact that people went out during COVID and adopted animals because they were home and they had time to do the training and the walking. And then everybody went back to work and situation normal and the victims then become the dogs and cats and they're being taken back. I also heard, too, that there were even people that were concerned that they could get COVID from their pets. Oh, well, that's sad because there's really no evidence for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't know it. It is really sad. Well, I ended up fostering a fairly small six-month-old cat. He was so little and he was a tabby. And as you know, tabbies usually don't get adopted very readily. So I felt compelled almost to adopt him. He was so sweet. He would stand on his hind legs and stretch out Mm -hmm. and wanted to be picked up and he wanted to snuggle with you. He was just so affectionate and really friendly. Oh, that sounds so sweet. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So when I adopted him, um, or when I started fostering, I noticed that he had a little bit of an inflammation in his left eye, but it seemed that was in the process of healing. It didn't seem new. It seemed kind of old. And I was wondering if it was related to trauma or something else. So I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. I took him home and actually got along with my dog, my cat, very quickly. Obviously, he was hiding under the bed initially. Oh, I think, yeah, you can expect that with cats. Yeah, you you can. But after, you know, a few days, I started wondering why he was so calm. You know, for a six-month-old cat, he wouldn't play with them, but he would just sleep most days. Yeah, but I think cats sleep like 18 hours a day, don't they? Yes, they do. But, you know, it just didn't feel right. For a six-month-old cat... 
And then all of a sudden things changed dramatically. One day he almost had like what I would call a neurological fit. Oh, that doesn't sound good. (laughs) No, what does that mean? Well, my dog was trying to play with him and then all of a sudden he started to salivate. His whiskers started to twitch. And then he was all of a sudden very bouncy. He just jumped up and down and just didn't look right. It made me suspicious that he maybe had eaten something toxic or something else was going on. So I actually took him to the vet the same day. That sounds pretty serious. Yeah. Yeah. So the staff was super nice and they were very busy, but they actually took him in immediately. They had a suspicion what it could be. And unfortunately, the suspicion came true very quickly after they ran a few tests. So what kind of test? What was it? Well, the cat had feline infectious peritonitis, FIP for short. Yeah. So there's no specific test for it, but you can run some other tests and they are indicative that it could be FIP. And together, you know, with the trauma in the eye or the the inflammation in the eye, that was another hint that it could be FIP. So FIP is a very serious viral disease in cats and it's caused by a feline coronavirus. A coronavirus. So it it's like a respiratory virus, like for humans, COVID is a respiratory virus. Well, actually, most strains of the virus are found in the cat's gastrointestinal tract and don't really cause significant disease. But a few go on to cause FIP, unfortunately, which is this really deadly disease and fatal almost all the time. Oh, my gosh. That sounds awful. Now, is it contagious? Can any cat get it? Any cat that carries feline coronavirus is potentially at risk of developing FIP. But younger cats are at greater risk of developing FIP. So there were studies that show that approximately 70% of the cases diagnosed in cats are less than one and a half years of age. And some studies even suggest that 50% of the cases occur in cats less than seven months of age. Yeah, and the most common mode of transmission for feline coronaviruses are believed to occur between an infected mother when she passes the virus along to her kittens, usually when the kittens are only between five and eight weeks of age. And the kittens that are housed in these like high-density facilities like pet shops and shelters and catteries appear to be a lot more susceptible to FIP. And for some reason, uh, purebred cats and male cats and geriatric cats are also at pretty high risk, but no one really knows why. Huh. So these crowded shelters, that doesn't sound like a good thing. So why do some cats end up with FIP and others don't? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's still somewhat of an enigma of what's going on. But the, the one of the hypotheses is that these FIP viruses or the coronavirus in the cats, they start to mutate. And then all of a sudden they uh, don't infect the gastrointestinal tract anymore. All of a sudden they infect white blood cells. And those white blood cells spread the virus throughout the body. And the body will then mount just a very intense inflammatory reaction to those viruses and those white blood cells, which causes symptoms such as fever, weight loss, fluid accumulation in different parts of the body. And they can even have neurological symptoms. So FIP is usually progressive and it's almost always fatal without treatment. Oh, no. So there's no cure? I mean, so there's treatments for COVID, but there's no cure for FIP. Well, so when I was in vet school 20 years ago, there was no cure. I don't know, Danielle. Yeah, 
So I was actually, I brought my notes with me. <laughs> I did some looking into this after you told me. And I don't know, it's kind of this crazy story. In 2018, a team at UC Davis led by Nels Peterson published a paper describing a small clinical trial involving 10 cats with FIP. And remember, this is a this is a disease that is almost always fatal. But when they treated the cats with this drug, GS441524, I know that's a mouthful. It's from, <laughs> it's from a company called Gilead Sciences, the results were amazing. 10 out of 10 cats survived. And even in this follow-up study that they did with 31 cats, all with FIP, 25 of them survived. So that's really, really impressive for this disease that's almost always fatal. Yeah, it is. It's pretty amazing results. So how does this drug work? Well, like all coronaviruses, the viruses that cause FIP have an RNA genome that's made up of these kind of like molecular building blocks that we call nucleosides. You have guanine, uracil, adenine, and cytosine. And in order to replicate, the virus steals ours, actually. Or steals the cats. In this case, yes, the yeah, virus okay. would steal the cats. Okay. <laughs> There's this really interesting class of drugs called nucleoside inhibitors, and that's what this drug is. It's a nucleoside inhibitor. And they're these small molecules that look almost exactly like our nucleosides, so much so that the virus can't tell the difference. But when the virus is trying to replicate itself, they make a mistake and they use these drugs instead of the nucleosides. And it kind of jams up the virus so that it can't continue replicating and then the virus will will die. Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is it's kind of like if you had a lock on a door and you had a key to that door. Right. And so the normal building blocks, you know, you could open the door with the key, but this creates something that looks just like that lock, but the mm -hmm. key won't open the lock. And so the virus cannot replicate in that cell. Is yeah, that an analogy yeah. that sort of works? That sort of works. The drugs, it's almost as if they were a key that jammed the lock. Oh. It's stuck. The virus can't continue replicating. Okay, interesting. Well, that's good news. It's actually not that simple. It's not licensed by the FDA. It's not an FDA-approved drug, so there's no way for vets to legally prescribe it to their patients. Danielle, do you know why it's not licensed by the FDA? Yeah, well, it's kind of this weird story. I'm not super clear on it, but the drug GS441524 is really closely related to another drug made by Gilead Sciences called GS5734, another mouthful, but you've probably <laughs> heard of it. It's called remdesivir. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's something we've heard of. And in fact, in an interview that I read with Dr. Pedersen, who originally did those clinical trials, he said in his preliminary studies, he tried both remdesivir and the other drug, GS441524, and they both worked in cat cells in their preliminary studies. He only even chose to focus on GS441524 because it was chemically simpler. Remdesivir has an additional chemical modification, additional phosphate group that allows it to be taken up by the cells more easily, but it didn't really seem to make any difference in those early preclinical trials in the, just the cat cells. Okay, so what I know about remdesivir, isn't that one of the drugs that FDA granted emergency use authorization during COVID for the mm -hmm. treatment of COVID. And it's been tried for a lot of other viruses as well, right? Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it has. Um, so when these papers first came out in 2018 and 2019, Gilead was originally hoping to develop this drug, remdesivir, as a treatment for Ebola. Unfortunately, it didn't seem to be effective and, and never went on to get any approval. And now they're focusing on, like you said, developing it for use in COVID. And while some studies have shown that there's some impact, other studies have shown the opposite and shown that it hasn't been effective. But getting back to our, our main question here with BIP, either way, it's unclear if Gilead has any interest in developing GS441524 or remdesivir, either drug for licensing in cats. Well, that's kind of infuriating considering how fatal this disease is for cats. Yeah, it really is. And it's this, this huge hole in the veterinary community. Yeah, yeah this is really infuriating. I mean, there was nothing I could do to, to save the, the cute tabby and ultimately it had to be euthanized. But didn't you tell me you heard something about the drug maybe was available on the black market? That's kind yeah. of what set me off. Wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. Black market for cat drugs? Well, yeah. Well, the vet that I took the cat to actually said that there's a black market for, for a treatment. Yeah, I actually found a paper published in 2021 led by Samantha Evans at the Ohio State University. And she actually surveyed members of this group that had gotten a hold of the drug on the black market. She surveyed 393 people, actually, from the group. Okay, so where's this drug made? If it, I mean, if it's being sold on the black market, where's it coming from? It's not coming from the companies that created it. No, 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 no. It's actually, it appears to be coming from Chinese companies. How do you, how do people find stuff like that on the black market? How Google. People, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we don't endorse anything that's really no. uh, done on the black market, just no, to be of clear. Not, right? yeah. I, wouldn't, I personally would never do this. Right. I would never. And you're a veterinarian. So, yeah. I mean, that's mm-hmm. pretty good advice. Yeah. Okay. So, it turns out, I did a little bit of reading, and GS441524, that mouthful of a drug, is pretty easy to make if you know a little bit about chemistry. And apparently, there was a Chinese company that tried to get licensing for the drug in China because FIP is a problem worldwide, just like how we have a lot of cats here. There's a lot of cats in China. And the company was never able to get licensing for use in China. But it appears they started developing it anyway, and so did a lot of other companies. And that's where pretty soon pet owners across the world found out about this and turned to the black market to get a hold of the drug. It's pretty crazy. It's interesting to think about, you know, you love your pets and you want to help them out. On one hand, it's really maddening that this drug, if it works, isn't available. But the other part is scary if the only way to get it is not a legal yeah, path. Yeah. And I mean, Gilead does own the rights of this drug. You know, they developed it. It is their drug. So legally, I guess they do have the right to say who can and can't develop it and license it. And, you know, I was reading that study where they surveyed members of this Facebook group where you're able to get a hold of the drug. And people paid anywhere between $500 and $21,000 for one 12-week treatment. I know it's really expensive. And in some cases, you know, cats have relapses or in cases where the cats have neurological symptoms, they either have to have an increased dose or a second dose. And that would bring the total up even higher to $10,000 or $15,000. Oh my gosh, that's so much money. And especially for a drug that isn't regulated and it's being sold peer-to-peer through social media. I I mean, how do you know if it's any good? How do you know if it's safe for your cat? It, It sounds pretty dangerous to me. 
Yeah, you can't know. And there's nothing really like this before in the veterinary community that I know of. I mean, have you heard of anything like this, Dennis? No, no. So what do you think? What will happen next? Well, there's a couple things going on right now. So a lot of people that I have talked to and read since you told me about this, Dennis, are hoping that remdesivir, right now it's only under conditional approval in the U.S. But if it gets full licensing and full FDA approval, then veterinarians can write off-label use, write prescription for the drug off-label. And I think that's what they're doing right now in the UK where the drug is already licensed. But, you know, it's kind of tricky because all the clinical trials were done not with remdesivir, but with the other drug, GS441524. So we don't really know how effective remdesivir is in cats with FIP. So investigators at UC Davis look like they've launched another clinical trial for cats and FIP comparing remdesivir and the the other drug, GS441524. And hopefully that will lead to a more reliable way for cat owners and veterinarians to treat cats with FIP. That'd be great because, you know, Dennis's little kitty might still be alive if this drug was available. And it's something we definitely want to maybe pay attention to, keep our eye on, because this is sort of an interesting story. Yeah. Combining the black market, (laughs) kittens and drugs manufactured illegally, perhaps, and people paying $20,000, $21,000. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, you know, and when I was in grad school, I kind of had this feeling that if I did good science, I could have an important impact. But science happens in the real world, and there's all these other considerations in addition to science. There's the politics and the economics and the the legal things and the, the business components to think about as well. And then there's the human aspect, what a person is willing to do when they have a sick kitten or a sick family member or something like that. This is definitely a complicated story. So Danielle, it sounds like you've done a lot of research on this. (laughs) I did. I went down the rabbit hole. (laughs) Is there anything, is there anywhere where our listeners can find more information? Yeah, definitely. I'm going to summarize all my notes. And if you're interested, check our show notes and I'll post a full blog with all the details. If you want to check out, I'll also link the new clinical trial at UC Davis and a couple of other articles where I found interesting information. So that's great. Well, Dennis, I'm really sorry about your cat. Yeah, me too. I hope your week gets better and I hope that, you know, there's good news and good resolution to this with this drug yeah. down the road. It'd be We'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And go out and have foster cats and dogs. Yeah. You know, it's a big need right now. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Rabies is a major public health problem worldwide. In fact, there are about 59,000 deaths per year, and that's one death every nine minutes. And unfortunately, 40% of those deaths occur in children. Rabies is usually transmitted by the bite of an infected animal. And globally, the most common way to become exposed to rabies is the bite of a dog. And in fact, 99% of cases are from dog bites worldwide. A big problem with rabies is that it's fatal when symptoms appear, which is really scary. And it's tragic because rabies is 100% preventable by vaccines. And we have really good vaccines available for mammals, including humans, dogs, raccoons, etc. And as a scientist, the thing I find most interesting about rabies is that it's capable of modifying host behavior. So for example, in herbivores or typical animals of prey, the virus will make them more docile and increase the likelihood that they can become attacked by a predator. And on the other hand, when carnivores are infected, they become more aggressive or rabid, as they say. And now you know about rabies virus. This is your viral minute. Thanks for listening to the Infectious Science Podcast. 
be sure to hit subscribe and visit infectiousscience.org to join the conversation, access the show notes, and to sign up for our newsletter and receive our free materials. If you enjoyed this new episode of Infectious Science, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and go ahead and share this episode with some of your friends. Also, don't hesitate to ask questions and tell us what topics you'd like us to cover for future episodes. To get in touch, drop a line in the comments section or send us a message on social media. So we'll see you next time for a new episode. And in the meantime, stay happy, stay healthy, stay stay interested. interested.